when it comes to stepping forward with commitment and dedication, courageous giving comes from a heart of gratitude. That's the secret of it. That's why Zacchaeus was able to give and give the way he did, because he understood the dynamic and the power and the transformation of the gospel for himself. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, as many of you are aware, is Stewardship Sunday, and so we're putting on hold our study of the Holy Spirit that we started a few weeks back, and we'll pick it up again next Sunday. But today is our Stewardship Sunday, and we are focusing on what it means to be actively involved in stewardship, and hopefully that will become self-evident in our study this morning. So if you would turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 19, as we read together verses 1 through 10, and you'll find it on page 1630, page 1630 of the Church Bible. It's perhaps one of the best-known stories of the entire New Testament, and we begin at Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy word. Moments ago, you saw what I thought was a very well-done video clip highlighting some of the ministries that we're involved in as a congregation. And some of them were local, some of them had a more of a national flavor, and some an international flavor as well. And so I wanted to say right at the beginning of our time together this morning on Stewardship Sunday that the ministries we have been looking at this morning and there are over 90 ministries and mission agencies that we actively support are deeply indebted to you for your ongoing week-by-week -week support of those ministries. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We could not be the church we are today without your wholehearted commitment and dedication to all that we are involved in. So thank you. And that's the first thing I want you to hear this morning. Secondly, and if you're visiting this morning, please be patient with us. It's almost never on a Sunday do we focus on financial giving, but this is the Sunday that we do. So, if you're visiting this morning, my apologies. 
And apologies in one hand, but on the other, remember this as well. As Christian people, we are firmly convinced that it's important to be Christian in your marriage, and it's important to have biblical principles in raising our children and the moral standards we set. We believe it's important to be Christ-like in our place of work, how we raise our family, how we engage with others, what our moral stance is on a number of issues, as I've already mentioned, but also we want to be Christian and Christ-like in our finances. New Testament epistle of James, James uses these wonderful words when he writes, every good and pleasing gift comes from God above. And the gifts that God provides for us in terms of finances, in terms of our abilities and the gifts that He provides for us day by day, we believe as Christian people it's important to take all of that and make it available for His use. And on a Stewardship Sunday, that's going to be our dominant theme. And for obvious reasons, we're coming to Luke 19 to look particularly at Zacchaeus this morning. You'll know, of course, from the front of our bulletin that our stewardship theme this year is courageous giving. And that's our theme this morning as we come to this passage and ask, Father, what does courageous giving look like? What does that look like in a practical way in our own lives? And that's where we're going this morning. But before we get there, I wanted to share with you an email I received about three or four years ago, and I thought it was so good I had filed it away. And it's a story, and let me read it to you. The story is told of a senior advisor at the IRS who had read the story of Cinderella to his four-year-old daughter for the first time. The little girl was fascinated by the story, especially the part where the pumpkin turns into a golden coach. Then suddenly she looked up at her dad and said, Daddy, when the pumpkin turns into a golden coach, would that be classified as personal income or long-term capital gains? <laughs> and of course, we smile at that because people who work for the IRS now and back then have a hard time of it. And we tease them. And it's a little unfair. They do good and valuable work, but they do get a tough time of it. And this morning, as we come to Luke 19, Zacchaeus was a tax gatherer. No question about that. And Luke 19 begins, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd, and so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, if you're anything like me, I will find myself two or three times a year in North Main Street waiting for a parade to go by, and it's always a time of great excitement. You will see families sitting at the side of the street, Others will be standing where mom is holding a child. Dad will maybe have a toddler up on his shoulders, and all of the festivities and the fun is going on. But in the midst of all of the parades I've seen on Main Street, never have I yet turned around and looked up in a tree and seen a financial consultant. <laughs> I've just never seen that. They may be there and I'm missing them, but I just haven't seen that. And my point is this, and Please come with me in your imagination this morning, because the text doesn't tell us this. 
But I imagine that since Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was a wealthy man, he probably had been, I imagine him somewhere between 40 and 50. Been working for several years. He was well known in his profession. He was a chief tax collector. And it is a rare thing to see someone in their 40s or early 50s up a tree. And my question is this, what on earth was going on? In Luke chapter 18, you hear Jesus telling the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee comes right to the front of the synagogue on a Saturday morning, and he makes this great display of prayer. And the tax gatherer sits in the back. I imagine him, his head down, his hands joined, quietly praying. And I wonder if Zacchaeus had heard Jesus tell that parable. As a tax gatherer, he was thinking, hmm, I want to hear this man again. Hold that thought for a second, and let me encourage you to use your imagination again. Because Zacchaeus is not the only tax collector we read of in Scripture. We also know that Matthew was a tax collector, one of the twelve. But I wonder if in that small subculture of those who worked in financial services and tax gathering back then, if the transformation in the life of Matthew was not something that was talked about right throughout the region. As tax gatherers would get together, meet in their office, would go through all the paperwork, you can imagine them saying, have you heard about Matthew? Someone says, no, what, what happened to Matthew? He's usually up in Capernaum. What, what happened? And they go on to say that he's kind of lost it. He's now following this itinerant rabbi, a Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe you've, you've heard of him, and he's just, he's given up everything he had, and he's just out there doing his thing. And you can see them looking at each other and thinking, okay, but I wonder if God had not already been at work in the life of Zacchaeus. And these little incidents that Zacchaeus was now aware of he was beginning to join the dots. And I wonder if for Zacchaeus, all that he'd hoped for, all that he'd longed for, all of this gathering and hoarding, and he had a terrible reputation, as tax gatherers had then. The reputation such that he would be despised and looked down on. And I wonder if he climbed a tree because the people saw him coming and just kind of shuffled up together. But I can't help wonder if God had already been creating a dissatisfaction in the life of Zacchaeus and was already drawing him to himself. And Zacchaeus was realizing that all he had was, in fact, not what he had hoped it would be. And God was already at work in the life of Zacchaeus. Is there authenticity in this? Is there credibility in this? What is happening? And of course, your mind is stirred, and you are beginning to ask yourself, what is happening here? And when God begins to create a divine disinterest, it often begins with curiosity. And that's exactly the case here for 
Zacchaeus. God was beginning to draw him closer and closer and closer. And notice what happens. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Talk about surprise. Can you imagine? Here he is up in the sycamore tree thinking he's quite safe, watching everything pass by below him. And Jesus stops and turns and looks and says, Zacchaeus, I must. The imperative is right there. I must come to your house today. Come down. And please understand this, that when God speaks directly into the life of an individual, that call is always personal. Always personal. Zacchaeus, come down. Can you imagine his surprise? Me? People don't even want to be seen with me, and you're asking to come to my house? My reputation is nothing. I'm despised, rejected by the people I know, and you want to come to my house? Jesus is saying to him, Zacchaeus, what has happened in your past? will not determine your relationship with me. Your regrets, the days when you gave in to sin, the days when you wandered, the days when you cheated and stole from others for your own selfish gain, Zacchaeus, that doesn't matter to me. And right there and then, Zacchaeus understands he feels and senses the overwhelming, unconditional, outrageous love of Christ. And his life is transformed. He is utterly changed that day when he comes into contact with the living God. And all that he thought was important became as nothing to him. And notice what he does. At verse 10, he says, Lord, if I have stolen from any, I will give it back. I will give half of what I own to those who have nothing. I want to invest in a significant manner that will change the lives of those around me. And if I have stolen from anyone, I will give it back four times. Please understand this that when God works in the life of an individual, what they once held as important, as a priority, no longer will be held in such a manner. And now in the life of Zacchaeus, you can be certain of this, that the man he had now become, the life that was transformed from that point on his walk equaled his talk. Zacchaeus wasn't interested in a faith that is sterile or academic or removed, remote from the messiness of life. He wanted his faith to impact his life, to change him, to make a difference. 
And all of that we see right in this passage. Here was courageous giving. Now, let me pause with that thought for a second. And the question I now want to move on to is how do we take those biblical principles we've been looking at this morning and apply them to our own lives? And allow me to speak to you this morning if you are an individual who for the last 10, 15, 20, and sometimes longer, who have been at first prayers year after year after year after year, and over those years you have given financially, you have used the gifts and talents that God has given you, you have supported ministry, you have been prayerful, and you've been sacrificial in your giving. To you, I really want to say again, and I know I said it at the beginning, but I want to say it again. Thank you. Thank you for quiet, consistent giving over the years. It really does make a difference. Now, for those of you this morning who are saying, Richard, honestly, stewardship makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And I don't know why you have to go on about it, but it does make me feel uncomfortable. And over the last couple of weeks, I know you've been sending out just brief emails each morning, 250 words or so, and the first few mornings I read the passage, and I looked at the prayer, and I tried to engage. But after three or four mornings, honestly, they've just become a nuisance, and I wish you would stop. But on the other hand, I've had enough folks say to me over the last 10 days or so, thank you. Because I'm not quite at the giving level I should be. I give occasionally, a little sporadically, but I'm not where I ought to be. And those emails have challenged me ever so gently and caused me to think, where am I in my giving? And allow me please to push a little further and say this. If you are an individual or a family who doesn't give regularly, allow me to say this. As a congregation, we have 1,633 individuals or families who are actively involved in the ministry at First Pres. Out of those 1,633, just around 1,000 give and give regularly, and that's a remarkable thing, and we are immensely grateful for it. But the other 633 who are not quite where they should be, here is my challenge to you. This week, when our stewardship letter comes in, please don't simply leave it to one side. Please don't ignore it. Prayerfully read it. and Say, Father, what are you calling me to do? How should I respond to this? Sometimes the temptation is to think, well, $20 I might give on a Sunday morning won't make a difference, but please hear this. If 633 families and individuals who don't give regularly simply gave $20 every Sunday for the next year, our income would go up by 630-something thousand dollars, over half a million dollars. 
So when you're tempted to think my little giving on a Sunday won't make a difference, folks, please hear me. It will make a significant difference. Significant difference. So my challenge then is for those who don't give, take seriously and prayerfully the challenge this week and think, okay, Father, I want to get this area of my life in shape. Allow me, please, to step forward and give by a check on a Sunday or just simply give in the offering as it comes around or to set up automatic bank draft, which more and more families are doing. And we're seeing a significant increase in that because the little that you do give will go a long way for us. So please let me challenge you with that. And for those of you who are saying, Richard, I'm now retired. My income is fixed. It's not what it once was. I'm simply not able to give the way I used to give. Well, let me say this. Thank you. Thank you for the years you have given. Thank you when sacrificially you were able to step forward and were able to make a difference. Thank you for that. Please continue to give what you can, but don't go away this morning feeling guilty. My job is not to guilt anyone, but is to ask us as a congregation, corporately and as individuals, how are we responding in this stewardship season to all that God is calling us to do? Now, let me pause for a second and come back to the passage of Scripture. And this morning, as we wrap things up and draw it to a conclusion, most of us, I hope, will leave thinking that Zacchaeus was quite an individual, and he was. But I'm not sure he is the best example of courageous giving to be found in the Scriptures. The transformation in his life is remarkable. And over the centuries, millions upon millions will hear of the transformation in his life please grasp this, and this is what I need you to take away this morning, that the finest example of courageous giving comes in the last verse of this passage. Look at it with me in verse 10. After Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house because this man too is a son of Abraham, verse 10 says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That is courageous giving. And when you think of courageous giving, think of Christ Himself, who gave up willingly, intentionally, the wonders and the glory and the splendor of heaven, where countless millions of angels and archangels, the cherubim and the seraphim, worshipped Him day after day after day. And He turned His back on it to come into this world to give His life for us. That's courageous giving. He tells us He came to seek and save that which was lost. That was us. That's courageous giving. And the outrageous, unconditional love of Christ is seen in His sacrifice for us. And for those of you who really enjoy studying the Gospels, you may already have noticed this, that the story of Zacchaeus comes in Luke chapter 19. 
And at the end of that chapter, you have what? Palm Sunday. And then a week later, you go through Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and come to Easter Sunday. And allow me to encourage you to use your imagination once more. What was going through the mind of Zacchaeus on Easter Sunday? I think we know what was going through his mind on Good Friday. But Easter Sunday? Remember, the passage starts with Zacchaeus saying, I want to see Jesus. I want to be close to Him. And I wonder if on Easter Sunday, when the ladies come back from the tomb, and Peter and John ran to the tomb and then came back and told the others, He's not there. And the rumors and the speculation and the gossip started to infiltrate round through Jerusalem. I wonder if Zacchaeus thought, I want to see him again. I want to see him in all of his resurrected power. I want to be exposed to the immensity of his love and the transforming power that has utterly changed me. I want to see him again. Because Zacchaeus understood this, that when it comes to investing in the life of others, when it comes to stepping forward with commitment and dedication, courageous giving comes from a heart of gratitude. That's the secret of it. That's why Zacchaeus was able to give and give the way he did, because he understood the dynamic and the power and the transformation of the gospel for himself. And I wonder if on Easter Sunday he didn't shed a tear or two and think, he died for me. And he came to this world and suffered hell and death and sin for me. And that's why we give. That's why we have ministries the way we do, for we long that others would come to know the unconditional, outrageous love of Christ. So this week, when you prayerfully, seriously begin to wrestle with your response, coming up next Sunday will be Commitment Sunday. How will you respond? Let's pray together. Father, we freely confess this morning that this passage makes us uncomfortable. Father, help us this week to intentionally do business with You, the living God, to look at all aspects of our lives and to look at that area of our finances. Father, help us to get it in order. Help us to be deliberative, intentional, proactive in responding to your call upon our lives. Father, we do thank you for your incredible love towards us. And as we close our service this morning, we close in worship and adoration because we can say, 
that we have been touched by you and intimacy with you is possible because blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Father, bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.